0: Hey, this is Alyssa Paget. Welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 213. The RV Entrepreneur is a show for nomadic entrepreneurs and people who want to travel the world, but also work as they go. Today's episode, we are bringing back to the show Chris and Cherie of RV Mobile Internet. If their names are familiar, it's probably because you've Googled how to get internet in an RV at some point. They are the go-to experts. They have written books on internet for travelers and we last had them on the show in 2017 and we wanted to bring them back today to share what internet is like on the road now because so much has changed just in the past four years. There are so many more people wanting to RV, wanting to work remotely, especially now in 2021. And internet options are not the same as when we started RVing full time back in 2014. You can't just pick up an unlimited data plan anywhere like you used to be able to. And if you do find one, prepare to get throttled. And if you don't know what throttling means, or what 4G means, or 5G, or boosters, or any of those tech terms that you see thrown around whenever RVers start talking about internet, Don't worry, because Chris and Cherie get technical in this episode, but they do a really amazing job of taking something that's a little bit complicated and overwhelming and explaining it in a way that actually makes sense. So you'll want to pay attention to all the awesome things they recommend. They also recommend a few specific products to really boost your internet experience while you're traveling. We'll link to all of those in the episode show notes. So you can check out heathandalyssa.com internet, and you'll see all the links for those products there. But before we get into our interview for today, let's hear from this week's unofficial sponsor. Hi, I'm DJM.
1: I'm saxophone. And
0: and we're Future Future Joy. Joy.
1: In August of
2: 2020, we moved into our RV full time and hit the road on the socially distant travel trailer tour. We use the back patio of our rig as a stage to bring the music to you safely.
0: We make eclectic electronic music with a taste of Saxon soul and have been coast to coast to coast playing everything from drive-in music festivals to senior center parking lots. We would love to meet and play for you. Check us out at futurejoymusic.com. Thanks, guys. And now here's Heath chatting all things internet with Chris and Cherie.
1: All right, Cherie and Chris, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast.
0: It is exciting to be here.
1: It is I can't believe how long it's been. And time flies. Yeah, it's been uh, I think like 15 years we decided since our last interview. <laughs>
2: 2020 was a long year.
1: <laughs> yeah, it has been a very weird perception of time because in some ways it feels like I've been walking around with this mask for a very long time. It's just it's interesting how normal things can become, you know. Mm-hmm. When did you guys originally hit the road in your RV? And I know it was first separate, and then you met on, I think it was a Honda forum. Prius forum. Prius Prius forum. Sorry, okay. Yeah, I I set off
2: solo uh, April 1st, 2006. Going on 15 years. Coming up on 15 years, very shortly. And uh, I'm in a tiny little tab trailer just to... Seeking an uh, adventure and enlightenment and did not expect to meet somebody in that first year who wanted to sell her house and move into that tiny little tab trailer with me. And that's could, I,
3: <laughs> I could only do it if I could get uh, internet because I was running a software development business. So I don't like I could hit the road with you, but I need power and internet. <laughs>
2: and I'm like, I got solar power and I've been doing mobile internet and she's been doing it. And like her, her our first date was actually co-working or her work working while we boondocked on stealth boondocked on treasure island in the middle of san francisco bay Um, working i spent a work day with the the city skyline as the view and it's like this works hey cool
1: (laughs) (laughs) i was one thing i was really curious to talk with both of you about because you have been on the road for so long is how how is this past year like what is your viewpoint on this past year um and and not necessarily because i want to dive into the negative side of the, like everything that's kind of on this past year from a COVID perspective, but how has it impacted how how you are able to travel and move around? Just I was really curious to kind of hear your perspective because I feel I haven't actually talked to a lot of other full time RVers and how that how this has changed their lives the past year. So I'm just curious for for you how that's been.
3: So we we looked at it and we felt that you can safely travel, but the complications of it. The bar is raised, and the things you have to be aware of, the things that you have to investigate before you move into a new city is, are there amenities open? Are <laughs> they adhering to a level of safety that I am comfortable it, with?
2: Is it going to even be fun? And
3: and we decided travel isn't as fun anymore right now in this period of time. And after, at that point, 14 years of full-time travel, we decided it was time for an extended pause. Um, We're still living on our boat, and we're recording this from our boat right now.
2: And we have a van up there. We've been doing small little trips, but kind of hub and spoke out of making basically one place a home base for the bulk of 2020, which has worked out really well we've we've,
3: Yeah, we've kind of adopted the the, the home base concept, which has been really good. I think after 14 years of lots of more hyper-mobile travel, it feels really good to be still in a, a place for a while, and we've been able to focus more on the business because while our lives have become more stationary and we've decided yep. to slow down, so many are choosing to hit their own because it is, RVing is one of the safest yeah. ways and, to travel. And right that's now. actually,
2: I guess, kind of the big thing that we've seen observed for 2020 is so many people, it's kind of flo- thrown open the doors to working from home or working remotely. So, so many people who've never considered it, their, their, their job never had it as an option, they're like, oh, I can do this now. And hey, maybe I can do it from an RV and I can do it on the road. And so there's this like, I think we've seen a ton of like longtime RVers taking this is their pause year. They're going to chill out and, and let the wave crash over them. But there's this tidal wave of new RVers who are like rushing out saying, hey, for the first time I'm untethered and able to work remotely. And Oh, I need help for internet. <laughs> you <guys>. I, don't, <laughs> I do
3: not think we would have been able to keep up with the uh, <laughs> increase in need for the resources that we've offered and the changing technology. The, the changes Busy in the last year, year yeah. have been crazy in technology-wise, mm. and we've had this new influx of new RVers and voters to uh, to help get on the road with their mobile internet connectivity. I don't think I could have stayed sane while trying to also <laughs> manage a mobile lifestyle and manage that level of increase in workload. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Well, congrats on like the, it totally makes sense. I mean, just with everybody working remotely. Also kind of to feel like the secret's out. Not that it was ever really a secret. We've all been posting about it on social media. I've hosted podcasts and and everyone's, yes. But at the same time, it's, it's, everyone is kind of, biting in on it but it's been like yeah it's been here for a long time and so uh, i think that's a that's a good segue so when we talked a few years ago we dug into internet setups and that was spring of 2017 so kind of at broad strokes what has changed you know cuz this question i think both of you answered this question and i know your own groups i can't imagine how many times a day but i know at least in the rb entrepreneur group you answer this question i feel like at least several times a day also but how how has internet setups changed, and uh, from 2017 to now, as far as uh, for mobile RVers and and people working on the road? Oh, nothing's
3: changed. No, yeah. nothing's, nothing's changed. changed. <laughs> in the <body. laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah.
3: I think some of the biggest shifts that we've seen is in how the carriers treat unlimited data plans for cellular. When we're talking about cellular, um, is there was a brief resurgence of unlimited cellular plans out there that you could get legit. And, all the, seller, the carriers realize how much data people are using these days, whether it's working remotely or streaming Netflix or YouTube videos or up doing video casting and things like that. So the amount of what people use for unlimited data was unsustainable for a lot of the carriers. So they've all retracted on oh. offering legit unlimited options. So they've
2: they made it a lot more complicated to get lots of data. So I think when we last talked, 2017 was kind of like a, a, a golden age of it was actually – Relatively simple. It was still not straightforward, but it was relatively simple and easy to get real big, crazy, unlimited plans. Now it's more complicated. The other change that's happened is is just the continuing continuing evolution of LTE. Is this, we've kind of like reached the end of the 4G LTE era, but it's from two, seven, 2017 till now. You know, the amount of coverage and the amount of speed out there has has ramped up a lot actually, which is
3: so. It's like you now can do a lot more online, but you but, can't use all the data anymore unless you were lucky enough to have snagged one of those awesome unlimited and grandfather plan, yeah. Um, and of course 5g is is here it's a reality it's not quite a component in a mobile internet arsenal but it's here on a consumer smartphone level okay. uh, but it is coming it is something we are easily are tracking that
2: paves the way for the next 10 years of evolution
3: uh wi-fi and campgrounds still remains um i think we've seen more campgrounds Take it seriously and improve their networks, but it's still not something you can rely on as a primary option. It's still a rarity. And satellite, I mean... Back then, uh, the the concept of Starlink uh, was just uh, an idea. Yeah, we started covering it then. We were yeah, still yeah, covering yeah, it. Yeah, it was yeah. still in the paperwork stage then, but it is now yeah. in beta, public beta. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still a year or two off, I think, for most of us mobile RVers and boaters to be able to utilize. But it's, it is on the horizon,
1: and, and it's it is literally way. in the sky, flying overhead. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a lot of things I want to unpack there. But okay. starting with, let's start with five G. Can you explain to me? A a, in a, like a layman's terms what's the difference between 4g and 5g other than i just know 5g is the next evolution and it's better yeah, it's is, a, is this a, a dumb, dumb question
2: <laughs> <laughs> no no it is it is not a dumb question at all it, the cellular technology has been kind of you know it, the, the standards bodies come, ar- come around to like basically every 10 years and set a new technological foundation that paves the way for the next 10 years of evolution so so you know <laughs> think of what 4g is now to what 4g was 10 years ago when it was just peeking out the door it started off as just really good 3g and then it ramped up to where it is today which is actually pretty amazing that's 5g is starting out as really good 4g and you could find little pockets of whoa this is amazing little like glimpses of where it will be years from now but so a lot of people think oh it's it's i i can get 5g gear now and they're very disappointed that they'll it, in most places, even if you're getting a 5G signal, it's just really good 4G. It's nothing special. So don't rush out and invest in it just yet, but don't hide from it because it's paving the way. That that device will then, two or three years from now, will start to really get more benefit from it. Right.
3: But basically, it's just a set of new standards. Yep. It's like, you know, in web developers, uh, you get new sets of HTML standards. <laughs> it sets a new foundation that you can build upon mm-hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. So the big benefits will be reaped in years, a couple of years from now, but it's a foundation to build upon. And the biggest shift from 4G to 5G is the frequency and spectrum that the the signal can be broadcast over. And it's changing the way we have to think about the gear that we use going forward. Because you've probably already, a lot of people are now getting more familiar that there's short range 5G and there's this really, really long range 5G and the short range is what you're seeing in the major metro urban areas where you might be able to only get that signal a few blocks from where it's being broadcast. But that that's,
2: signal is gigabit speed, you know, faster than you could even get on fiber optic at home. It's and crazy. That's,
3: that's not the flavor of 5G that's going to impact our mobile community most because most RV, RV parks are not in those city centers. But the 5G that will impact us is that longer range 5G. And it's basically opening up more spectrum for us to be able to tap into and using that data more efficiently. So hopefully, hopefully we can get back to plans that are more like unlimited,
1: right? (laughs) So basically, with a 5G solid network of long range frequency, what would that look like? Because in my mind, a lot of it goes almost towards internet speeds, but I know it's much more than that. Well, well the, the, and, and yeah, the, the really big thing with
2: internet speeds is, and also people people smartly realize it's like, well, why do I even care if my internet goes from 100 megabits per second to 200 megabits per second when I only need 10? But if you think about that, like, like highway traffic or something like that, what you're actually doing when you double the speeds on the network is you double the capacity the network so Mm. even if an individual is using is is not really caring that the speeds got faster because the underlying speeds and the underlying technology is advanced the network has twice as much capacity or 10 times as much capacity as they start building it out and that means they can start allowing more and more people to use more and more data they can take the brakes off of all the Mm.
1: limits they're putting on the data plans that is a big deal so this is kind of the like I'm equating this to building software and when I work with Paul, my CTO, which is like when he needs to take a break on the sexy features and say like, I need to scale our servers." So we, he has a Kubernetes stack and basically what that means is whenever we get to like 75% CPU on traffic, if a big campground goes live, it automatically spins up new servers. It's stuff that you'd never see and right. we're getting super nerdy, but basically <laughs> it means that everything's going to run better We're like when we have big gatherings in the future which is going to happen eventually uh, of our viewers we won't break all the cellular towers absolutely <laughs> yes, it exactly. means that you
3: can potentially go to court site in january and actually get online and be able right. to do video streaming from there a lot more
2: capacity <laughs> and yeah and, and there's actually a lot of the you're talking about the the virtualized servers and stuff a lot of what 5g enables behind the scenes is so geeky that most people can't grasp it but it's like The the servers can spin up. Companies can pay to have servers spin up in the edges of the network. So like right at the cell towers and stuff. So Facebook, if they're or YouTube, if they're dealing with a ton of traffic, a server will spin up basically in the cell tower colo. And instead of having latency of going all the way to California, you have latency of just a few milliseconds. Which if you're if it's just streaming video, who cares? (laughs) But if it's interactive gaming or VR and stuff, the server is actually running. Just a one hop away from you, and suddenly your latency is next to nothing, and that's what five G makes possible behind the scenes. Yeah, wow.
1: Well, before we before we lose people who are like just getting into <laughs> R B, but like if if I'm just getting into this lifestyle, like there's a big influx, or I'm still kind of planning. I know this is probably the baseline question, but if I'm just looking to have a a, a basic internet setup on the road, I mean, I don't I don't want to actually say basic because I would think. I would need a a dependable internet setup for my remote job on the road. And I know this is something that changes and and I want to make sure to link out to y'all's community because you keep track of how this changes and adapts. But what is that kind of baseline setup approach for how you encourage other RVers to stay connected while they're working remotely right now?
3: So- specifically working remotely, which is a very different type of setup than someone who might just be retired or doing this sort of So working remotely and probably also in this community, we probably have a lot of remote learning going on as well. So the needs there are very similar in that you need reliability. Reliability is the number one word that we hear uh, with people stating their needs. Because if you can't get online to do your Zoom call or turn in your deliverables, you know, you can get fired. You can lose your income. You lose scores. your client. Yeah. That. So, redundancy is what we preach here. And right now, we are in a, as far as mobile data is going and data solutions, we are still fundamentally in an LTE world. So, it's still okay to base your decisions around LTE. Don't worry too much about 5G this year. When we do this interview again in a year <laughs> or so, we'll probably be changing the advice yeah. here. But we recommend having at least two cellular carriers in your setup if you're going to be mobile um, and possibly have a way to tap into a wi-fi solution whether that is at a campground that has actually done it right or if was very common is driveway surfing with friends who actually have a good home-based wi-fi system that you can get from their driveway yeah
2: the redundancy example like really put drives it home for people Is like think if you're jumping out of an airplane you really want the reserve parachute and if you're if you're working online you really want that reserve carrier because you never know when literally the the tower might go the AT&T tower might go down for maintenance and you need to quickly pull the ripcord and switch to Verizon.
1: Yeah, and nothing and nothing feels better than having that redundant plan because we typically have carried AT&T and Verizon and at times when we went to Canada, we've also carried T-Mobile. Mm-hmm. And so it's so nice to be able to flip between that or the Wi-Fi and run it through a repeater and kind of have those redundancies in mm-hmm. place. Because a lot of times, even if you're checking a resource like Campendium or something like that, that shows the cell top, like what other RVers are getting for cellular reception. It, it can change or maybe like there's a tree blocking or maybe a tower oh, absolutely
3: and it can be oh. specific to your campsite within a campground especially if you're in a campground that has hills or something like that mm-hmm. it impacts the signal you get and you also have to look at what your equipment is you might have really modern equipment because you've kept up to date but the person leaving that last review might have had really old equipment that can't maybe tap into the latest technology that the carriers are using so they might report oh my gosh the verizon here was awful. awful but you get there like it's, it's perfectly wonderful. fine for me. Yes. Well, that's because you bought the Porsche and they were driving a Yugo. A Yugo. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, that's a really good point. For the two carriers that are still per the most common, is it AT and T and Verizon, or or are there other ones like? T-Mobile? I would say
3: we're probably seeing a solid shift to AT and T and T Mobile. Really the two top, and not that Verizon's a bad network. They still have the most coverage nationwide, but what the problem is with Verizon is getting data plans that are suitable mm-hmm. as a home internet replacement. They're just not yeah.
2: there right now. And, and as far as, as just the, the overall big networks go, um, it is it used to be kind of a, like a, a two-way race with AT&T and Verizon as the dominant leaders and then Sprint and T-Mobile as the second place. But once Sprint and T-Mobile merged, it's now more of like a three-way race of giants. And depending on which part of the country you're in, um, any one of them could be the actual dominant leader. So having two or even all three gives you more um,
1: lanes of uh, access. Yeah, no, that's really good. I had no idea that T-Mobile was doing such a good job. For So I know at least a few years ago, a lot of our viewers were kind of going through the third party sellers of unlimited data plans and things like that. I also know a lot of those have been like shut down or had a change or things like that. So if somebody's wanting to go out and source two different provider options right now, are you guys recommending just going directly to a store or how, how does that work?
3: So the first thing that you have to do is you need to assess how much data you really need a month. What can you get by with and not feel like you're going to risk getting cut off when you reach a Mm -hmm. data cap? And if that is beyond a couple hundred gigabytes a month, then you really have to start thinking if the risks of going with one of those third-party resellers is worth it. And just know that, like you said, they are constantly being shut down by the carriers. The terms are Mm -hmm. constantly changing. We're still seeing the volatility in that market. Um, there's so many third-party resellers out there. And if you're not familiar, these when you see in the the groups and people discussing things like Nomad, Internet, OTR OTR Mobile, uh, NetBuddy, those are the sorts of third-party resellers that are out there currently today. And they're constantly coming and going, people getting cut off, people having to get a new SIM card sent out that takes a week or two for them to get back online. Those are all normal risks that you have to accept. These companies,
2: for the most part, are operating in kind of a gray area, um, getting you plans that really are Mm -hmm. not meant to be where you're, they're, they're exactly. selling them to.
3: But if you can get your data usage down to a couple hundred gigabytes a month, right now um, on AT&T's network, Cricket Wireless is offering a 100 gigabyte plan, which is their prepaid subsidiary, for $90 a month for mm. legit. Yeah, 100 Cr- Cr- Cricket
2: is owned by AT&T, so that's not going to go away.
3: And T-Mobile just last month released a 100 gigabyte plan for $50 per month. That oh, is wow. direct with the carrier. So there are now some legit options that are within the realm of what we might consider good data plans. And then the other uh, recommendation that we're making for folks is see what you can do because you can add on a tablet to a lot of your smartphone unlimited plans. Like you have a postpaid unlimited plan with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile for your phones. You can typically for like $20 a month add on a tablet a cellular enabled tablet and get unlimited data on that tablet there's a heck of mm-hmm. a lot you can do on yeah. a tablet like video conferencing video streaming and stuff like that so yeah. you can offload a lot of your yeah. data so, to, so, to a tablet
2: yeah a lot of people can set up like almost like a dual screen setup where they've got the tablet and that is their zoom box and that handles because that's the bulk of their data and then their laptop can get by on a much slower data plan and suddenly they're they don't have to worry about data limits anymore because their, their, their video is all funneled through one
1: unlimited pipe. I love it. And there's also some apps that I've looked into in the past. I haven't really used any of them. Maybe, maybe I'll have, but they are, you can sync up if you have a pretty large iPad, you can have it use as a legit second screen. Do you know any of those apps I'm talking oh. about? well yeah
2: well actually that's built into the latest versions of mac os is oh, that, really you can use a, use an ipad as a second screen so you can use it yeah as a second screen for your computer but then when you want to have the ipad you know run zoom don't run zoom on your computer run zoom on the ipad oh you
1: know, that's, you, on, that's, that's just on the newest operating system do you need a specific hardware of ipad or
2: apple calls it sidecar it's it's a feature they built into the latest uh, last two operating systems actually where you, you can just basically set an ipad next to a mac and pull down from your top little menu and say extend my screen right onto this ipad which is actually really really kind of handy for this
1: is is why i need a good technical friends because i have no (laughs) idea that this was a thing i thought you had to like go buy a third-party app so it used to be buy a third-party app but yeah now it's easy oh yeah (laughs) apple has a tendency to just Kind of I wouldn't want to call it steel because it's their operating system, but people create these third party apps. They build legitimate businesses on Apple. And then Apple's like, you know what, that's a good idea. We should just build oh, that yeah, for yeah. us. we'll, we'll go buy
3: that company and, and just yeah. and in
1: yeah. it's probably the equivalent of a Whole Foods or a Kroger, you know, coming out with their own brand because they're like, well, we own the traffic that's all coming through these mm-hmm. stores. So anyway, uh, so I know a problem that we had when we went to We've done both. So we've had unlimited ATT and Verizon from kind of the third party seller options. And then we've also went directly to Verizon and bought an an unlimited plan. And I wanna say it was a couple of years ago or a few years ago. Uh, what is it?
2: The prepaid paid plan, I think. It was I the guess, one.
1: but the, yeah. the problem that we had, which is what it sounds like you were addressing, was we would hit a data throttle and it was a hardcore throttle. Oh, I mean, okay. we that's were- That's a different one, yeah. Okay, maybe that's something different. So I, yeah, so if somebody's going to a Verizon or AT&T store right now to get a data plan or it sounds like Cricket, those are some pretty good options for just grabbing 100 gig a month plan and it mm-hmm. being, you know, that should be able to get you through quite a bit. Yeah, the, one of the, the most important things is,
2: is probably for people who are looking for these plans is don't go to the stores and ask for recommendations because the, 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 the store staffs they, they they might be able to give you the plans, but they have, they're not trained to understand even their own limitations on these plans for high data users because us us type of nomads that use a lot of data that work full time on the road we're completely outside of their normal market. So you have to know exactly the plan you want and go in and say. I want this plan. You might even need the plan codes and you know, the details. stuff. So that's the sort of information we help people have.
3: Right. So if you go like to a Verizon, if you've got a Verizon unlimited plan on your smartphone, you go in and want to add a jet pack to that plan a mobile hotspot yeah mm-hmm. mobile hotspot device which verizon brands as jetpack uh the sales rep is probably going to sell you for 20 or 30 dollars a month and add on jetpack plan and tell you it's unlimited but it really has a 15 or 30 gigabyte high speed mobile hotspot cap once you hit that cap you were throttled down to unusable speeds
2: for the remainder of the month mm-hmm. so and the, and the, the sales reps don't even realize that you know they, they are completely clueless and so you need to know <laughs> the different plans to ask for to to get out of there without uh, being frustrated.
1: Yeah, because you don't want to hit those it really is unusable speeds cuz you it can't is. call or you can barely load a web page even if right before you were having great internet speeds. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. What do you feel is a decent budget if somebody's getting started and say they have say it's a, a couple and they both work remotely and maybe they watch a little bit of Netflix. I'm just trying to create like a persona here okay. and you know they watch a little bit of Netflix but not a ton and they do have some Zoom calls but not a crazy amount. So like what do you think people could get by with a spending like if they're trying to figure out internet setup plans. Do you think you could do it for a hundred dollars or less? Is it $200 or less a month? Uh, I know it's hard to answer yeah, that without it, having it, all the details. It's
3: really hard to say that because it really depends on how you need to use that data. Do you need it as hotspot data or can you use an unlimited plan on a tablet or smartphone for your, your data needs? It's going to play a big role into what, what you yeah. need and they also look at equipment costs um you know it's like if you go with a hotspot plan well you need mobile hotspot devices or, or you need cellular or router, a cellular perhaps. router and then you, you're getting into antennas and or boosters and
2: but, well one, one thing we do encourage people is to, to to don't try to to start with the um big giant cadillac you know buy everything throw money at it just start really simple and you can actually start really simple and affordably and and even just you know, just just getting started figuring out what you can do off of your phones, you know, just by tapping into the, the hotspot plans that are included with your phones and People can get used to just how much data do they need? What are their their actual uh, needs? Um, there are some really affordable like for people who are trying to be on a tight budget like the visible plan which visible is a subsidiary owned by Verizon. The plan is only $25 a month or you can get it down to on a phone and it has unlimited hotspot usage off the phone, but it's got a, a speed cap, but it's a usable speed cap. That it's five megabit per right. second,
3: which is plenty. And it has high ping times, which So for people that are doing things that need to be like responsive, like shell terminals and stuff, uh, might not be suitable, but, if you can get unlimited data and you can hotspot off your smartphone, twenty-five dollars a month is a pretty cheap plan. Yeah, that's. But it's also it's always though the
1: lowest priority. So if, On you go in, Network, yeah. so if
3: you go into an area that's got a lot of Verizon customers, you could have really bad performance.
1: Mm, so that's called visible? visible, visible, yes, visible. Okay, cool. And so one of the things that I learned from from both of you was about the MIMO. Is that what it's called, MIMO yep, antennas? Mimo. And yeah. we had inve- we had uh, had a WeBoost in the past, and and it worked. And I and I thought we got pretty good use out of it. But they're also pretty darn expensive. You know, like a WeBoost. Yes. If somebody's not familiar. I'm sure both of you will do a much better job of explaining <laughs> cell boosters, but effectively, like it'll boost your carrier. So if you've got Verizon or AT&T, you put the device near a little internal antenna and it helps amplify your signal. So if you are in the boonies or a national park, it can basically help amplify that signal. And so I know we've gotten a lot of value out of, out of having boosters, but we exper- we got the $30 Mimo booster. And I honestly I think it worked can. just as good. They, boost, they add the booster yeah. antenna. Or maybe it's not called a booster. It's just an antenna.
3: Just antenna. So So a cellular booster basically takes one antenna that you put on your roof of your RV. It cables into a box. An amplifier box. That is electronically powered. And actually, it's like putting a megaphone on the the signal. (laughs) And then it is broadcasting more loudly the signal inside your RV for a few feet. And if you put your cellular devices within that wireless area, they're getting a stronger cellular signal than you are without that booster. But the downside to that is is a louder signal is not necessarily always better. I mean, think about it. If I'm shouting at Chris in an argument, it's probably more effective for me to calm down and have a more rational, civil conversation with them are probably going to get my needs met better than shouting at him, and that's <laughs> how you can look at a cellular booster versus a MIMO antenna so
2: so a booster has its place but um a MIMO. is but a booster is kind of funneling through that single one megaphone channel whereas all lte cellular devices have at least two if not four antennas inside them so if if somebody's not yelling at them if the booster is not involved they can actually tune in And go into a double speed mode or a quadruple speed mode, and actually do really, really well. Even if the signal is technically weak, your performance can be great. So we we tell people like a number one rule of boosters: even if you have one, don't leave it on all the time. Always do a a speed test when you get someplace and see is the booster actually helping you? Because in a lot of places, even the majority of places, a booster will potentially slow you down, cut your speeds in your downloads, your download Mm -hmm. speeds Mm -hmm. in particular in half when the booster is on. Only in really fringe areas will the booster actually improve your download speeds. But for people who are doing a lot of uploads or video stuff, the booster might cut your download speeds in half, but because it's making your voice back to the tower louder, your upload speeds go up. So you've got to kind of like weigh the weigh your needs. It's like, I, do I mind if my downloads go down if my uploads improve? And so mm-hmm. always test your booster and decide, is it helping you? But as you pointed out, a lot of places um, the booster doesn't do anything, and that's a big $600 investment, but a, an a- investment in an antenna, if you have a, a, a router or a, a mobile hotspot that has antenna ports, a very affordable antenna can usually run circles around the booster because that antenna is actually a double antenna. It's got the, the MIMO in it, the two antenna it, could, it can
3: listen better to those nice, soft, moderate voices. <laughs> yes. Um our general rule of thumb is a booster is going to outperform a MIMO antenna about twenty to thirty percent of it the time. Depends where you go,
2: yeah. Depending mm-hmm. on
3: location, fringe areas, and if you, if upload capacity is important to you, so you have to decide: is that five hundred dollar investment in a booster worth that extra twenty to thirty percent of the time that you might get better
1: performance? So, and- so seventy to eighty percent of the time, the antenna is going to do better. Yeah, yes uh,
3: absolutely yeah. but that requires that you have devices that can accept a physical antenna connection no phones
1: and antenna so antenna if mm-hmm.
3: you're optimizing on smartphones and tablets well a booster now is your only option to get a better seat. well other than going out on the picnic table and holding it up in the air yeah.
1: so, so basically good. if you're if you're listening to this and you have your hotspot nearby and you look at you look at the bottom and it's got two little ports right. that yeah. means yeah. you little can use the antenna you know. basically right.
3: And if you're using a cellular embedded router like a Pepwave Max Transit, which has become a very popular option recently, um, those have antenna ports on them as well.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's talk about routers because I know nothing about routers <laughs> in RVs. So I'm curious to hear. When we when we did a two month trip in New Zealand a couple of years ago, we had a oh gosh, it's a it's a company out of China that makes them. Uh, they're super popular, one of the biggest cellular companies in the world, and they make phones my, my way. Anyway, they had a, they had a router I, on board. I, what is it? Yes, yes, that was it. But we had, I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere and with that router we had blazing speed. So how are, you know, what are people using for routers on, on the RV and what is the benefit of that? Right. So a cellular
3: router. So uh, we've always had mobile routers and usually what people got used to is you bought mobile hotspot devices from your carrier, like a jetpack, and then you USB tethered them to the router, and then mm. your router could also connect to like the campground Wi Fi. And the router served as kind of a central, central hub.
1: Uh, conductor. So, so you could can switch serve- back and forth.
3: Right, right, exactly. And so your computers are connected to the router, and then you are controlling what the internet uplink is from the router so you're not having to go to each computer and say now connect to the camp route now connect to the jetpack
2: and particularly if you've got a household with a lot of devices from printers to light bulbs to to you know people getting more and more smart home things they've got but dozens of devices on their local Wi-Fi network, it makes no sense to have to go change things. So you really need, you've got a complicated network, you really need a router to act as a hub and a conductor. Right.
3: So what has another change since our last interview is uh, cellular embedded routers have become much more consumer accessible, uh, where you actually have a router that has the modem built inside. Think of it like a jetpack on steroids. Yeah, jetpack and router So you've now got the features of the jetpack, which has the modem, inside and around it can create a wi-fi network but they also have ethernet ports which can be very important for local area networking because a wired connection to your computer you don't have the interference that you can yeah. get with a wireless signal over and if Wi-Fi. you have
2: your own server a lot of a lot of rv entrepreneurs have a a, a network attached storage device that is their their server and their backup so if you it's always better to have things like that on a wired connection so a router lets you have fast wired ports right. and stuff
3: and uh and now uh, one of the the popular options as of today this could all change tomorrow <laughs> um is a, a router by Pepwave called the max transit duo and it has two modems inside of it so you can be connected to let's say Verizon and AT&T at the same time and you can even bond those two connections together for increased reliability so let's say we're doing a video call a video zoom call or we're doing a live broadcast we usually will bond our two connections together before we get on that call, so that if AT&T experiences a dropout, maybe our neighbor starts streaming Netflix or something like that, the Verizon signal just picks it up, just There's picks no, it right up. No drops. The, the router just manages those connections and allows us to keep a steady connection. And it, it's it's a huge advancement. These options were out there before, but they were at enterprise. professional level they used Hmm. to be three or four thousand dollars these routers are now come down in price to the sub one thousand dollar level and when you look at buying two jetpacks and everything else you you that's what you start to spend yeah
2: so, so 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 they're now it's still in a significant event investment it's still overkill for a lot of people but for people who are really kind of wanting to have a um um you know, kind of invest in their network infrastructure. And for people who work on the road or it's a business investment, it's not often very worthwhile. You can have a a kind of a dual modem, multiple plans, kind of optimize your system and up your complexity, but up your reliability. And for people, a lot of people, that is the most
1: important thing. Yeah. And I what a, from talking with a lot of other RVers, what comes to mind when I think about having something like that is, even if people are, even if a lot of employers are okay with people working from home now, which they are, there still might be a little bit of hesitation, which, which is like, hey, you're going to go travel full time, you know, are you how, you know, and and it's almost like if you need to make a case for how you have set in place redundancies to make sure that you will be reachable, and that you have dependable connectivity, that could be a selling point that allows you to hit the road if your employer is overly concerned with that. Is that something that do you, do you both use your the PEPWAVE almost all the time? Is that how you're we, always running your cellular we, signal? Well, I mean,
3: we, we always, we, <laughs> is a subjective term- Because we test everything. Because we so have so to you. test everything. But mm-hmm. uh, we have settled on since the, the PEPWAVE Max Transit Duo came out at a sub $1,000 price. We put it into our setup- It's kind of our default. Back yeah. in yeah. September 2019 is when it came <laughs> in. And it has been our daily since then. That is our preferred choice. Um, And a lot of our viewers you'll see on YouTube and stuff like that have have taken that setup that we adopted and have made it extremely popular. So there can sometimes be supply issues. in getting but It is a solid uh, solution today. And it is kind of when we have our members come to us and, you know, as long as they have access to data plans that will work on those routers that give them what they need. Because, you know, if you're looking at tablets, that's not going to to make sense on a router. You Mm -hmm. have to have a data plan that you can use in a right. data only device. Right. So you gotta kind, of, to kind right.
2: of like do your bigger yeah. strategy around all of this. Because some we, we, we run across some people who like buy this expensive dual modem router and then they're like, okay, now what do I do with this? Like, did you think through your plans? And like, uh, mm-hmm. no, I just got the router first. It's like, okay, start with the plans, <laughs> then figure out how you're going to actually use you know, them. It's
3: there's like, a lot of moving pieces that yes, come together. And we get asked all the time, just oh, just come out with some default packages that I can go buy. Like,
2: and they change all it's the time. time and everyone's
3: <laughs> needs are so different. Um, it's just, it's in,
2: and that's why we don't sell anything. We just try to give people a choice.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably, that's probably a good way to go. So for, for clarification, you, if you want to go the router route to have that redundancy in the combined power, cause I love the idea of if one, if you're on AT&T and you're on an important zoom call with the client, and that drops off, and that does happen, then you mm-hmm. can automatically pick up on the other network you have. You need to go first source those individual data plans, and then Maybe, you you yeah. connect them to your router. And yeah, then well, the
3: SIM cards, just like you have a SIM card for your phone or for yeah. your jetpack, the routers take a SIM card. Uh, got so it. you just need to go get a SIM card that is authorized for data-only use in those routers. So you right. don't
1: actually need to go buy the hotspots. You just need yep. to get the SIM card. Okay, right. Yep. got it. Okay. So, um I'm asking questions that I feel like I should probably know but I just have never played yeah. around with the, I need to have I need to have both of y'all on the podcast at least annually because there's I'm out of the loop on some of these things. Just, you get stuck in your ways and you're like, oh, "I'm fine. I got I got what I need." Um, so we talked about boosters a little bit. We talked about antennas. Let's talk about Wi-Fi repeaters because this is something that we didn't use for a long time, but when we started using them when we were staying in RV parks, they made a massive difference as another piece of the puzzle because Mm -hmm. it wasn't always useful but a lot of times campgrounds they can maybe have okay wi-fi but they're the way that they ping it across the park is just really bad so we've had a lot of success in using wi-fi repeaters what about what about you um
2: so so once i guess the thing we've discovered is once you've kind of gotten your cell your cell setup dialed in and optimized because you need it because you can't count on wi-fi Mm -hmm. then you stop even bothering to check the Wi-Fi because you you've got your cellular working. So you you we, we hardly ever bother to check Wi-Fi anymore.
3: <laughs> well, we also are in the uh, the fort because we've been on the road so long. Is we have grandfathered in truly unlimited data plans, mm-hmm. which are not.
2: Easy to get in. Easy
3: to get right now. So someone starting off may need to balance their data needs against using public Wi-Fi sources and a extender. And I'm thank you for using the word extender, not booster. We hear that that is confused, they get confused yeah. a lot. Um, an extender basically allows you to reach a access point on the wireless network from further away. So your campground may have done a good job of getting in the appropriate backhaul to serve everyone in the campground, but they just where you are physically parked, maybe too far away to get a strong signal. The problem with Wi-Fi signal and that technology is it is a short range t- technology and the performance of a Wi-Fi signal drops off with distance very, rapidly. very, very rapidly. So if you are more than like 500 yards from an access point, you're really pushing it. Yeah, You're, you're, you're yeah. pushing being able to get a usable speed. So what we recommend people do is... Um, you can integrate it in. I wouldn't depend on it as a primary if reliability is your focus, but it can actually play a role. I mean, you may get somewhere where there is just really bad cell signal, but they've done a really good job of getting a Wi-Fi network put in that Mm -hmm. is usable. And you want to be able to get a good signal to it. And a, antenna or cpe device which is the radio and router and everything on your roof can actually help bring that in from outside to in right but we recommend you know if you're considering it and you're maybe at a location you're wondering now oh, can i get this better take your smartphone or your tablet or your laptop closer up to where the access point is and run a speed test there if it's usable there you could have a chance of bringing that back to your campsite to your rv um if it's not and it's just a bad network there's nothing you can do to we, fix we, it we see a lot way. of
2: people who say i spend all i spend all this money on this expensive wi-fi gear and and it's still horrible i'm like is it is how is it up front at the office it well, it's horrible there too it's like oh okay. Okay, you can't that that's can't make it better. That you can't yeah, improve on that. that. It's like lipstick on a pig, and, okay? And Maybe and one and one of the things also that is kind of a kind of a secret sauce for Wi-Fi is a lot of um, it's starting to become more popular where campgrounds have put Wi-Fi on there's two Wi-Fi bands, there's 2.4 gigahertz and five gigahertz. And they're putting out um, Wi-Fi on five gigahertz, which is much faster and a lot less interference. But a lot of the Wi-Fi gear doesn't do five gigahertz, a lot of the long-range Wi-Fi gear doesn't. So if you can find the gear that does let you connect at five gigahertz and the campground supports it, suddenly you've got a much better, faster, more reliable connection, particularly because 2.4 gigahertz, that, that is such a crowded airwaves that even microwave ovens broadcast on, you know, the microwave signal is on that same thing. It was kind of garbage band uh, spectrum. So that's why it was used for free Wi-Fi. So if your reliability is important and you don't want your neighbor making microwave popcorn to take you offline, <laughs> um, finding campgrounds and gear that supports the five gigahertz wifi is a great way to kind of rise above all that
1: noise. No, that's, that's really good. And I, I know we've, we've covered a lot. So if, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I want to just do a quick high level recap of some of the things that, that we've talked about, and I'm going to throw out my, my takeaways and then you can kind of layer in yours. And then I want to also talk about Starlink, but one redundancy is key. This is me yes. uh, reciting my, my homework to the teachers. If you if you are going to be working on the road, redundancy is super important. And we've realized that um, the baseline for just getting started is just to get a couple of plans, you know, do your homework, and these are going to change from time to time. So by the time you listen to this, it could be different. But it sounds like in the moment that we're recording this, which is what's today, January 12 2021. Cricket has a really good plan for 100 gig, 100 gig plan for you say 50 bucks a month that a
3: one, month? that one's 90 dollars a, $90 a month and that's on at ts network
1: and on AT&T's okay. network so that's one kind of low-hanging fruit option um, another takeaway was some of the third party resellers if you decide to go with like a nomad internet I've seen them advertising a lot to our viewers some of them can have okay plans but it sounds like they're there may drop out on reliability we didn't really go into that too much right. but that was kind of what I heard from Absolutely, Absolutely.
3: Yeah. be prepared for them to go away in the morning. Yeah, so
1: yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's not
2: the the, the it's not the connection will, is unreliable. It's that the company might lose the SIM cards? You know, they they might have the plans be deactivated behind the scenes, and suddenly, boop, it's gone. Yeah,
1: so that's that's a little scary. And a lot of times when we've talked to people who are getting on the road, they think they have to have everything from day one, but you, know, you can kind of baby step your way in with getting I one of these baseline far. plan or two. And you don't probably need to go out from day one and buy a $600 repeater and a $600 cell booster. So you could start off with something like the Mimo antenna and for $30 on Amazon have, you know, be able to really experiment and see what your needs are. Did I, did I do okay? Is that good takeaway.
3: You did, you did great. You passed. <laughs> <Okay, laughs> you ready to go back out on the road. <laughs> yeah, let's do it.
1: Uh, all right. So I want to, I wanna, before we leave, dig into Starlink, because this is something that I know y'all are following and that you've been putting out lots of content. I think you're on Elon's private mailing list or something, because you always have really good information on what's happening with Starlink. So I'm pretty sure everyone most likely knows what Starlink is but if they don't know what Starlink is can you just give a quick explanation for what is Starlink and why should we why should we care and be excited
3: all right. So, satellite internet has been around for decades. It has been a way that rural people get online and it's how our viewers back even before we hit the road that was the primary way they got online. But those were geostationary satellites. They're 26,000 miles up in the over the equator, which means you had to have a southern view of the sky and there was very high latency. It took 600 milliseconds for your signal to reach Speed the satellite. Of light and come back down. What is launching now, and there are actually three different constellations being launched right now, are low Earth orbit satellites. These are satellites that are gonna be just a few hundred miles up in the sky, gets rid of that latency issue. But these satellites are always moving around the Earth. So there's gonna be thousands of them in the sky and you're going to need equipment on the ground that can track those satellites.
2: Yeah, so so it's basically Starlink and, and the other low Earth orbit satellite constellations coming are OneWeb and then Amazon's actually got one uh, called Kuiper that is is in the works as well. So there's soon going to be three major constellations. Uh, Starlink is way ahead. This is Elon Musk's company that are but. Because these satellites are so so low to the sky and they're in constant motion it takes thousands of them or hundreds at least to to be able to turn on service. You can't just have one satellite servicing everybody. you have to have all these satellites, so there's one always passing in range and then the kind of antennas that tune into them is basically using phased array um technology that used to be kind of like military grade you know insanely expensive stuff now these kind of antennas are starting to come down to consumer prices so there's this whole new generation of satellites that can deliver low latency broadband basically cable internet type experience um, wherever you are but there's some catches particularly a lot of our viewers are kind of like ah this is kind of the dream i'm going to be able to get internet everywhere well you still need this kind of big big dish gear and it because the satellites are moving through the sky you need to have instead of just like aiming for one little satellite that's a, like you can aim between the trees like you could with the old style satellites you need to have a big wide clear view of the sky if the satellite passes behind a tree that's a, a network dropout if there's if you're in the forest there's going to be more dropouts than not.
3: If you have a big rock in front of your campsite, (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of considerations. I mean, people are used to it kind of with DISH TV where they have to precisely aim their their little satellite dish. This is gonna, you have to have a pretty big open sky to be able to aim and get these. The other issue is, is because you have so many satellites passing overhead, they're all also dependent upon a ground station within that area uh, that is the actual internet backhaul. That is what is connect to the fiber optics oh. to get the internet connection that is then being bounced from yeah. the satellite back to your location. Well, we're gonna have the same thing that we have with cellular networks, which is network congestion. If you have a whole bunch of people in oh. one area, all on the same satellite. satellite as it's crossing over there's still going to be network congestion so as you get into more populated areas and you have a lot of Starlink customers using a lot of bandwidth well then we get into potential network congestion yeah. issues and,
2: too. and then the other big catch for nomads is, is Starlink the technology can be mobile and can work anywhere and in, in the very near future uh, in January right now January 2021 it's currently only available in the far northern U.S. but they're about to start rolling the beta out to most of the U.S. not all the way south to Florida yet, but to, they, they can roll it out even further south, but they're not turning on mobility just yet. So right now, Starlink will only work. Your, if you buy a Starlink dish and you're in the beta, it will only work if you're within about somewhere between 50 and 50 miles of your home address. If you go outside of that, the network will ignore you. They have not turned on support for moving your dish around yet. They It will come. It might be later this year. It might be next year. might be down the line. They still got work to do to turn on mobility. But for RVers, it's not it's not, not yet. supported yet. It is. It
3: is something we are tracking very closely, very excited about. Yes. But we think that Starlink, unless you are exclusively boondocking out, role, yeah. deep out in the middle of nowhere with clear uh, view of the sky, uh, which most of us don't, we like variety. Um, Starlink is not likely going to be your only connection. It's going to be a fabulous, however, um, complement to cellular exactly.
1: So right now, with the beta version of Starlink that is up, if we put it on the roof of our new place in Colorado, we could travel around in 50 miles and still have service through Starlink yeah, right now. Mm-hmm. That's pretty yeah, cool, right. though.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. And and eventually, and eventually, once they unlock mobility, it'll it'll be able to connect. Yeah, there's, no thing, there's, there's nothing go. preventing
3: that right now. Yeah. Uh, but there's exciting stuff. I mean, they've got plans in the works for satellites to be able to be laser links to each other in the sky so that they can extend coverage out from beyond those ground stations okay. in our boating community. People are like, Oh, I'm going to get in the middle of the ocean. Well, not until this, there's no ground stations in the middle of the ocean. Yet. So they need to put the, sa- <laughs> so, the laser
2: links in the satellites. And so, so it, it's a, it's a, um, you know, the one thing that Elon Musk and SpaceX has done is, is they are a, Expanding and building more rapidly than anybody could have imagined. So, so so, you know, don't bet against them. But it's 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 also you know it's still this this is one of the they have more Starlink satellites in operation than any other satellite constellation, even government related, right now. So it's they've already built the biggest satellite constellation in existence, and they're only a tiny fraction of the way through building it. Um, It's going to be it it
3: will be a huge part of the future of uh, connectivity. It's just it's still something that. If you're setting out today, don't plan around it yet. Don't plan around it this
1: year. <laughs> I think of being able to go to Alta Turlingua or something in South Texas, where mm-hmm. Big Bend is, that has the lowest light pollution, I believe, in all the uh, national parks in the lower 48. And I bet, I mean, you're going to be getting insane speeds out there because there's just mm-hmm. nothing. But for the the thing that makes both of you excited about Starling, what is that? Just the idea that we could be in the most far reaches of land that we couldn't get to before as long as skies are clear and have pretty darn good internet. Is that, is that the thing?
2: Yeah. It's basically Starlink is, is, and this is why it's also so in their current target market is, is rural residential It's, it's bringing, the kind of internet that you normally would only be able to get in a, in a core urban area and making that accessible just about anywhere. You're getting hundred megabit plus speeds and super low latencies. And, you know, currently they're, they're doing unlimited data plans and stuff. So, so you can have this kind of like cable internet like experience and be in the middle of nowhere or be in the super middle of nowhere. And hopefully,
3: (laughs) hopefully pricing stays affordable right now. The beta pricing is $99 per month for unlimited. There's no telling what the actual, consumer publicly accessible option will be but that's what it's priced at right now and the equipment under $500 which is being subsidized by Starlink it actually costs about $2,500 to build the current equipment yes wow (laughs) that's
1: that's exciting though well this has been uh so helpful and I learned a lot even though we've been doing internet stuff on the road for a while and obviously I need to pay closer attention to (laughs) the content that y'all are putting out so I can stay more up to date on this but thank you both so much for coming on the podcast and if people want to to pay closer attention if they're getting on the road and they want to, you know, have a little bit more guidance going through the different kinds of internet setups or as they change, where's the best place for them to connect and kind of stay in the loop on these pieces?
3: So we have our website is at mobileinternetinfo.com. Um, we have a ton of free content available there that is made possible by our premium members. We are a membership-funded uh, resource center, uh, so you won't find advertising in our content or anything like that. Uh, we're not affiliate. We're, we don't sell stuff. We're all member-supported, and our members do get additional resources. They get our classroom. We have a video course. And forums have,
2: for their questions. We, and do, we stuff do interactive like that, yeah.
3: guidance in our forums. We do webinars with our members. So we do go a lot further with our members members We do have a Facebook group called Internet for Our and Cruisers. It is basically a news feed and a little bit of a library desk, so we do a little bit of helping there as well. And we also have a YouTube channel at the Mobile Internet Resource Center, uh, where we do news, we put out news uh, videos, and also uh, tips from time to time.
1: I love it. Well, thank you both <laughs> so much for coming back on the podcast, and it was it was great seeing y'all again. It's so fantastic. Great, great to be here.
0: Don't let another three years go by. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For show notes and all the links to everything mentioned, you can visit our website at heathandalyssa.com slash internet and check those out. We'll see you guys next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.